in the future days which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in his own way everywhere in the world. The third is freedom from want, which translated into world terms means economic understandings which will secure to every nation a healthy, peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world. The fourth is freedom from fear, which translated into world terms means a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no nation will be in a position to commit an act of physical aggression against any neighbor anywhere in the world. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That clip was from Franklin Delano Roosevelt's famous 1941 State of the Union Address, or as it's more popularly known, his speech on the Four Freedoms. It strikes on some of the broader themes of a democracy here in the United States is supposed to create, both for people around the country and for people around the world. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, January 24th. Before we dive in, I actually want to tell you we're going to be doing some updates to the 10 Minutes on Democracy podcast. You'll notice some new things in the coming weeks and months. I'll be weaving in some giving recommendations throughout. And of course, One for Democracy is always happy to offer advice if you're looking to make investments to protect our democracy. We'll also start weaving in some long-term trend reflections every couple of weeks alongside the timely issues of the week. Some of the things that take longer time to really see how they're developing and what issues are impacting the future of our democracy. And we're going to frame more of the updates that we provide around One for Democracy's Four Pillars of Democracy. It's a frame that we use to talk about the things that are both the threats facing our democracy and the work that is needed to ensure we have a thriving democracy for the future. So those four pillars, first is around strengthening our democratic structures, ensuring things we have fair redistricting process, and getting electoral reforms like the recently improved Electoral Count Act, but also fixing the Electoral College, talking about the primary process, preserving a fair balance of powers between the branches, including protecting and preserving a strong and independent judiciary. The second pillar is around protecting our elections themselves, pushing back against voter suppression and confusing voting laws, supporting efforts to protect and expand the vote, such as automatic voter registration, expanding vote by mail and early voting, ensuring we have fair election administration. Third is around increasing civic engagement and political participation, building the participation and political power, particularly of women, people of color, and young people who've so often been left out or marginalized 
in the political process, organizing and engaging those constituencies, developing the new technologies and tools for increasing civic engagement, and supporting communities to hold their elected officials accountable to their campaign promises and translating electoral work into policy action. And finally, it's about improving the information landscape and shifting the political narrative, fighting disinformation, supporting responsible journalism, including local and nonprofit media, and developing narrative change campaigns that strengthen and deepen our collective understanding of the world we're living in today and the democracy in which we live. So in terms of what's going on this week, five issues I want to kind of touch on uh, related to strengthening our democratic structures. Looking at Wisconsin, we have uh, pledges coming from far-right donors who are pledging millions of dollars to the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. The primary will be happening next month, the general election in May. And this spring, it's probably the most important election happening in the United States in 2023, an off year. It is a There's an incredible effort to preserve the conservative majority on the court, which would preserve one of the most extreme gerrymanders in the country. The conservative Wisconsin Supreme Court has undermined the balance of power between the branches as Republican state legislators stripped powers from the executive branch after it was won by Democrat Tony Evers. And this is part of a broader pattern of efforts to politicize and undermine the impartiality of state courts. Uh, Actually, last year, the Brennan Center for Justice did a review of uh, state legislative bills and revealed that legislators in at least 25 states introduced at least 74 bills that would have politicized or undermined the independence of state courts. We see how important preserving and strengthening the independence of state courts are. They have huge impacts on the way that elections are administered, on protecting the right to choose, on supporting environmental regulations, and so much more. If you're interested in getting involved, there are major chances um, to give with groups like America Votes Wisconsin or local organizations like LIT, Leaders Igniting Transformation in Milwaukee. But if you're going to focus on one thing this spring around protecting our democracy, supporting the progressive candidates in the Wisconsin Supreme Court race to get a new balance of power and a fair kind of restoration of the operations of the Wisconsin Supreme Court would be something I'd put at the top of the list. Another thing related to strengthening our democratic structures, a major victory for the Justice Department and upholding, frankly, the rule of law. Four members of the Oath Keepers were convicted yesterday of seditious conspiracy in the January 6th, 2021 Capitol attack. It's the second major trial of far-right extremists who were accused of plotting to forcibly keep President Donald Trump in power. And the verdict came just weeks after a different jury convicted the group's leader, Stuart Rhodes, and Florida chapter leader, Kelly Meggs, also of seditious conspiracy. That first conviction was the first time in decades that people had been found guilty at trial of that Civil War era charge. It's one of the most serious cases brought so far in the January 6th investigation, which has continued to grow two years after that riot. Um, Justice Department's actually charged nearly a thousand people in the riot and hundreds have pled guilty rather than go to trial. And new arrests are happening and charges being brought almost every week. Um, It's a continuing, it's hard to kind of almost grasp how big that investigation is because it is a moment where you totally see the wheels of justice grinding slowly. But this victory um, in the courts yesterday is a really big one to pay attention to. In terms of efforts around 
protecting our election and the dynamics there, and also thinking again about the importance of the courts. In North Carolina, you've had Republican legislators who filed a petition to rehear a voter ID case. They've petitioned the state's Supreme Court to rehear a case that was decided just last month when the previous court, uh, because the composition changed because of the election, and so on January 1st, you've got now a conservative majority on the state Supreme Court. The previous court found that the state's 2018 voter ID law, 2018, it took years to move through the state court system, violated the state's constitution because it was enacted with discriminatory intent to disproportionately disenfranchise and burden African-American voters in North Carolina. So whether the court will agree to rehear a case simply because there's new justices on the court or not, that is generally not the precedent. A case gets heard, it is decided, and we move forward. But in the hyper-polarization and politicization of the moment, it's something to be keeping track of in North Carolina and the precedent it sets for other states. There have also been efforts and that really need to be fought for against bills that are trying to ban outside election funding for the administration of fair elections in different states. In Idaho and Montana this last week, um, there have been new bills introduced. And the dynamic here is paired with federal funding not increasing for election administration and cuts in local election funding, you saw um, donors step in to fill the gap, to make sure that local election officials had the resources just to run a fair election. But the worry is that they weren't able to rig the elections. They weren't able to influence the elections. And while they're masquerading these bills as election integrity bills, they're really a different way to try to undermine the ability to administer a fair election. Um, So another thing to be looking out for, and there's pushback already underway. And then finally, at a broad national level, especially as we think about political uh, participation and civic engagement, a lot of people who are tuning in and paying attention and trying to figure out how to engage with the debt ceiling. Um, Some of the latest kind of developments as we've now hit the debt ceiling, gone into using extraordinary measures to avoid defaulting. From a concerning side, you're seeing moderate Republican representatives who are coming out with pretty hardline positions for concessions they want from Democrats, like Congressman Don Bacon, a Republican from Nebraska, who is laying out publicly a list of very hardline propositions around cutting to Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and other things that really are non-starters. Seeing that come from moderate Republicans rather than from the far right who hijacked the uh, speaker nomination is an area of concern. On the flip side, unlike 2011, the last time we had the real debt ceiling fight where the Republicans had a 22-seat majority in the House that let them really have leverage to push for more, uh, this time the Republicans only have a four-seat majority. So the real question and the thing to be watching for is, will a handful of moderate Republicans side with Democrats to sidestep a uh, default on the federal debt or not? What will be the power play that will happen? And they'll be, expect a lot of negotiation because we are in uncharted territory if the U.S. government were to default on its debts. Um, but we'll see more and more about this and talk about it in the weeks to come. But definitely something to be paying attention for. And even these small things of public positions from moderates, questions about the majority and where it'll go, are really a key focus about the implication of a very arcane debate in a democratic process, but that has huge economic implications. 
So that's all for this week's review of American Democracy. I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Until then, take care. <laughs>